Hi, this is Jill Harrison, Executive Director of the National Institute on Aging Impact Collaboratory at Brown University. Welcome to the Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speakers and ask them the interesting questions that you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of the companion Grand Rounds content can be found at impactcollaboratory.org. Thanks for joining. Welcome to this podcast where we're going to continue our conversation emanating from the Impact Grand Rounds last week entitled Developing Standards and Quality Metrics for Clinical Phenotyping Using EHR Data in Pragmatic Trials. And I have with me today our presenter, Rachel Richardson, a professor in the Department of Learning Health Sciences at the University of Michigan. And she also leads the Electronic Health Record Corps for the NIH Pragmatic Trials Collaboratory. So welcome. Thank you. So one thing I wanted to pick up on, both the impact and healthcare systems collaboratories are putting a lot of effort right now into how we integrate considerations of health equity into the science of pragmatic trials. And in terms of phenotyping using EHR data, I think there's probably a lot of threats to health equity, both identifying potential participants and characterizing them. For example, in the case of pragmatic trials in dementia, typically claims and EHRs, black persons living with dementia are under-identified because they have less access to medical care. That would lead to the diagnosis being recorded in the EHR. So can you talk a bit about some of the pitfalls and potential solutions for phenotyping using EHR from a health equity standpoint? Sure. That really is an important question and an area of concern, I think, across all conditions and in all of research. And I'm not sure that the solutions are, are, are straightforward or apparent immediately. It just is a challenge to try and use a data source that you know, has, has bias in it. So it's not reflecting the full population. We're not even clear if you know, the care delivery is equitable, the level of documentation, how able, for example, certain populations are to complete their questionnaires or if they have even trust to use a patient portal or any other system to sort of share their personal data. And so if that data is missing on a certain subset of patients, then the research we're developing, the models we're developing around that really may not reflect the full picture for certain populations. I know I've seen a number of folks do this type of work and I feel what I'm seeing is just a a due diligence approach at least, where people are sort of looking at the data, looking at the populations represented, seeing does that represent the community? looking at the completion of data or the types of data or even the types of procedure, the patient experience across different racial or ethnic groups or other vulnerable populations and seeing if they're comparable or if that gives clue where there could be further inquiry about uh, you know, how, how practice might be different or how that experience might be different. So I, I feel like how I see it happening now is really similar to some of the data quality metrics that I, that I put out or those same metrics and, and approaches I think can be helpful in looking at different populations populations and comparing results across across different populations and making that deliberate effort. It can be a challenge with sample size and it could be a challenge, I think, if an investigator doesn't even quite know what they're looking for, who might not be well represented in, in the data. But I think a first step is this deliberate look at the data and all systems around that. And I think also our emphasis on having patients participate in research teams and members of the community, which I know that the impact Collaboratory is very engaged with patients and disease advocates and, and community groups. And I think having that voice at the table 
can also sort of be another lens to, to look at data and look at the research questions being asked and seeing results and identifying if these are really representative of the entire group or if there's other sub-analysis that can be done or additional data collection or additional recruitment efforts or things of that nature. Okay, great. Well, lots of work to do. I, just a related question Maybe it's my ignorance, but most electronic health systems, Epic, et cetera, how good are they just one aspect of this, which is classifying someone by race or ethnicity? Is there a standard across most medical systems and EHRs for just saying if someone's white, Hispanic, non-Hispanic? Yeah, that is a good question. There is a standard, and it's interesting, our U.S. standard, we use the the NIH standard reflects from the U.S. Office of Management and Budget, which is the sort of two-item question, I guess. One on race and then another on ethnicity, either Hispanic or or non-Hispanic. And that doesn't necessarily carry through or resonate with other countries. So that does make a challenge for international data. But in the U.S., we do have that standard. I believe things are improving, but this data really has not been routinely collected in healthcare. So a number of years back, I was at Duke University, and we did quite a push to look at this. I think the completion of the race-ethnicity data was less than 50%, and we had to have a real organizational commitment, dedicated staff, education, and workflows to make sure that we capture that. I think a lot of organizations are also doing that, especially with the emphasis on health disparities and the need for people to measure and report those, I think is driving that collection of data. But it really has been a challenge. And I think there's some variations even in the workflow of, is it patient reported? Is it clinician entered? Is it observed? Is it carryover from another data source? So there's, there's those challenges with the quality of that data as well. So I think that's our first challenge with health equity really is to be able to capture that information in a uniform and standard way. My instinct tells me we're getting better. I think the commercial EHRs will support this U.S. standard because it is our reporting standard. And I think it's really just a matter of organizational commitment to keep this complete and to collect this information at multiple points. I want to pick up something that came up in the discussion after Grand Rounds, and that was the issue of needing to pilot and even validate well-established phenotype algorithms in the specific EHR where your EPCT can be conducted. And this can take time, effort, and money, which is always challenging when you're trying to get the pieces in place to start an EPCT. So I think members of our tech and data core, maybe it was Vinod, I'm not sure, started talking about something we call these like rapid sort of mini validations for this purpose. And I've been encouraging him to sort of write an article about it because it applies to so many of our projects. Can you describe what you think of that and what it might look like? How much is enough? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to. And, you know, I sort of joked, I think, on the Grand Round series when you asked that question, I said, I don't know. I don't know if we have to validate or how much we have to validate. I think that is an open question. I think there's agreement. Yes, we have to validate. Just given all the heterogeneity of the enormity of codes that people could use, the different workflows, the different practice styles and EHR systems that configure this. Plus you have the issues about just population variation across different sites. And so as someone's applying these phenotypes locally, they're taking a definition, an ideal definition of, you know, these are the medication codes or these are the diagnosis codes we're looking for. These are the types of labs or imaging results. And then somebody is sort of making that judgment locally and saying, okay, this is our closest element on our side. So there's definitely variation and potential for error or loss of information in all these sort of local applications because we don't have one set of data collection standards in our EHRs. With that said, 
validation is such a costly and time-consuming venture that it's hard to imagine telling new investigators to, you know, to spend those kinds of resources or take six months to do these kinds of full validations. So I, I think the answer that we're moving towards somewhere in the middle, it's a validation, but it's a pragmatic validation. And so I loved what your technical data core, you know, had suggested about sampling and, and sort of pragmatic approaches to doing this. I think we could also look at the type of definition and where you're carrying it over. So if you're applying hospital-based definition to another hospital or maybe even a, another hospital in that practice network where there's some similarities, then it seems more likely that a previously validated phenotype definition would carry over and that the local validation could be more of a, a sanity check, if you will, or, or, or as David proposed, you, you know, do a few and, and see how that looks. And certainly if records are being pulled, if cases are being identified that later on review just don't look right, then if those are happening in those first few sampled cases, then there's definitely cause to look further. I think with some of the more complex phenotypes or the newer ones, things that are based on perhaps, you know, clinical notes or patient reports or symptoms or things that just may be a little fuzzier or have more variability for how that data could be collected, recorded, or those codes used, I think would require more validation. I think new investigators, though, would do well to replicate, to look first to, you know, establish definitions that have been validated and then look at draw comparisons between the similarity of your setting and the setting of the original phenotype definition, the intent, you know, whether it was for screening or directed into a, a medication trial, for example, that would require something very specific and sort of see if there's a match with some of those features. And I think that could increase the potential that you've got a good definition and, and reduce that need for significant validation. But I will emphasize again, I think as we're moving into the world of using EHRs for real world evidence and we're looking at emergent guidance from the FDA on this, it's just, it's still not clear, you know, what level of validation is required and in what cases can we, what types of conditions, what types of uses, what types of populations or settings or phenotype definitions can we say require rigorous validation process versus something that could be more pragmatic? Okay, more, more work to do there too. So, <laughs> Lots of work. <laughs> so I'm not sure you'll have any solutions to this one, but I thought I'd raise it. Dementia is really a dyadic condition in that a care partner is really integral to the care of a person living with dementia. And very often the care partner is also the target of an EPCT intervention. And so we've noted in several of our pilot studies, some of our demos, it's really challenging in dementia EPCTs to identify the care partner because they're not well captured in the EHR of a person living with dementia. Have you any experience or thoughts on this? I, I mean, there obviously isn't a magic solution, but it, it is a challenge. Yeah, I, I don't have a solution, as you're probably not surprised. This is really such a, just an interesting and new area. I really do appreciate in this area of research that, yeah, that unit of study that you really are looking at the patient in conjunct with somebody that, that's caring for them. And in many cases, that person is more able to report and assess how things are going. I'm seeing standards evolve. Honestly, it may be the Impact Collaboratory and your researchers that push this forward in terms of giving people in the caregiver role an actual role or a named role within the EHR. I'm seeing the notion of a care team as we're talking about transitions of care and developing implementations that can work, you know, any kind of uh, innovation or implementation that can assist with a patient's care transition, that is necessitating the definitions of the care team. 
you know, who's the treating physician, who's the consultant. And so I would imagine that, you know, a caregiver is very much a part of that team. And so I don't think the standard is final yet, but within HL7, there's a group called the Learning Health Systems Working Group. And they have been working on this for quite a long time, just naming the roles on the care team. And as you can imagine, people, you know, a physician could be, have one role on someone's care team and then could actually be a patient in his or her own world. So, so people can definitely change roles. And so it actually ends up being quite complex. It's like anything with informatics. It just, you, you start simple and you think, how many people can we name here? We'll have, you know, a, a physician, dietitian, social worker, but then that expands quite rapidly and includes where people are within organizations and identifiers and that type of thing. So that I think that type of standard is really going to be necessary as we start developing really complex interventions that we want to use the EHR to roll out, for example, and to make sure that everyone on that care team gets the right information or the right view of the information and is able to document their particular perspective so that the patient record as a whole can reflect the observations and suggestions and activities of all the folks on the care team. And I think the caregiver would be very uh, an incredibly important role. And that would be something to look into if people here are interested in that. I think if you search care team standard within HL7, you'll find that. And I've been watching that for a number of years. Um, and gosh, I feel like it's got to be close to <laughs> Close, close to ready that somebody could maybe do some testing on that or incorporate it in one of their interventions, perhaps. That's great. I'll have a look at that. Ask Julie what she thinks of it. My last question is very open, but sitting where you are, what do you think is sort of the next big thing or the main priority that will further advance leveraging EHRs and the use of EPCTs? It's certainly grown a lot, but if you would pick sort of the next thing that's going to happen or really move the field forward, what would you think it is? Yeah, I see things changing rapidly as the different aspects of the 21st Century Cures Act are, are moving into place. And most notably, this notion that the patient deserves and should have immediate access to their data in electronic format is putting pressure on organizations and data standards developers to create those services. And so I think you know once patients have that data in hand, the idea of a patient supplementing that or creating sort of a personal health environment, taking that information and sharing it with a clinical investigator for a research study, you know, it, it really can change the whole notion of recruitment and in, in, in data collection for a study, this idea of using sort of patient-mediated data exchange. But I think one of the motivators with this change about empowering patients to have their data was really that with that data, they could take more charge, engage more fully in their care, right? Decide which providers, decide which information, look at their information and make changes and really monitor their health or, or course of disease. So I think in the area of dementia, that could be quite important and also lead folks to collect their additional data, which is really important that sort of self-assessments and quality of life instruments. And, and we don't see those yet collected routinely in EHRs because they're just, it's not always clear clinically how to use them. And, and without that real clinical use case, it's hard to justify the time and expense for doing this. And the patient reported outcomes measures are really so specific to a condition generally and to a, a level of severity of a condition. So I think those standards are there where there's the promise standard. And then I know in your network, your investigators have used a number of standardized instruments. And I think as we, we see sort of 
patients and caregivers sort of handling and taking charge of their data, they may be in a position to complete those questionnaires more readily. And if those can be standardized in a way, I had pointed to this FHIR standard, which is a very exciting standard for transmitting EHR data. There is a resource, a FHIR resource, a model to represent questions and answers and questionnaires. And so that technical standard exists. And so having a group such as the Impact Collaboratory and all its many partners that could push that forward, I think could then have the, you've decided you know what are important instruments from a content perspective. And then to be able to then partner that with the technical standard, I think could really allow all kinds of sort of patient-centered data collections, maybe outside of the EHR, but things that patients or researchers could combine themselves. So it is a, it's an exciting time just imagining and seeing how the EHR is really changing from just a physician's record of orders and notes to something that can be used by multiple providers on the care team and can also be used by patients and caregivers to engage in their care and push research. So I feel like we're, we are just seeing a paradigm shift of how EHRs could be and maybe EHR is just sort of one piece. That clinical data maybe becomes broader that either a, a patient or a patient advocacy group or community members can uh, can maintain and, and nurture as a, as a research resource. Yeah. I mean, that would be super exciting. We really struggle to choose primary outcomes that are pragmatic and yet important to patients or care partners and more standardized patient reported outcomes would really go a long way, I think, in capturing what's important. Yeah. And I think that is, I mean, there's just a general push on that across the board, but it's been challenging to identify the right measures for the right patients and to get them put into practice. But I think if you, you know, you have a group where where you have this opportunity where you're focused on a range of related conditions, though, that you have that sense of the content. And I'm optimistic that the impact group can make an impact beyond what I've seen in other, uh, many of my research networks are looking at multiple conditions. And so it's hard to just think about the patient reported outcome space across lots and lots of conditions. If you're focused on a smaller range, that might be something that you can push forward and move into practice. And I think there's a general push for value-based care and paying for improved outcomes, functional and quality of life outcomes. And so if your work can align with the technical standards and that can align with some of our payment reforms that are going on, uh, it could be a really quite a different era in just a few years from now. So how do you make that happen? I mean, do you approach it healthcare system by healthcare system? Like just say, oh, we want this quality of life measure collected in a standardized way in the course of care for people living with dementia. I'm naive into how that happens. How do, how do we leap from wanting that to actually become a standardized measure? I could see a couple ways. I definitely see things happening at the national or, you know, very broad levels as well as really local. So I think nationally within groups such as the Impact Collaboratory or in patient organizations or professional medical societies, right, sort of the evidence of showing, you know, which measures have good performance and have been validated and used in in what context, I think that can sort of shine light on what's a quality or useful set of measures. And then I think with that sort of branding or that sort of that collective input to sort of determine what's best, then I think 
yes, if clinicians and, and leaders can go back to their local systems and say, these are the things we want or push their national vendor. I, I know Epic, for example, you know, has a large market share with lots of experts across sites come together and say, this is our questionnaire. These are the things we want. Then that becomes a value add that they will do. So I think it's that national collaboration and evidence and then the lo- local advocacy. And maybe there's a way to make talking points or sort of guidance about how individuals and, and even smaller health systems can bring these recommendations forth and sort of enable and engage their peers of clinicians to voice their need for these measures and then to use them and to find utility in them. I mean, more data collection is always hard to push for anybody. Well, thank you so much for your insights, your grand rounds, your experience. And uh, it was great to get to know you through your rounds in this podcast. And I hope Impact and myself will further cross paths in the future with you. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoy the experience and getting to know you and others in the collaboratory and the, and the work uh, that's going on. And I, I am very excited about the potential. I just see such momentum and focus and things are moving, uh, you know, in the technical world and the political world in terms of changing healthcare. So if I can, you know, be a future assistant, I, I definitely want to keep participating and, and maybe I can make some of those linkages and at the same time learn from you all on advancing our research. We'll take you up on it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's Impact Laboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next Grand Rounds and podcast next month.